Um, looking back, uh, there's sometimes things that we do that we shake our head and ask, what were we thinking? That ever happened to you before? Why did we do that? Why was that a thing? My journey in my vocation uh, took me through five and a half years of being a youth pastor. Now this was right uh, in the season of youth ministry, right after there was a really popular show called Fear Factor. You may know where I'm going with this. So this is what we would do. Fear Factor, if you don't remember the show, Fear Factor was a show that put people in really uncomfortable environments to overcome their fear. So people were put in like coffins and boxes with snakes and spiders. They would do these like highly acrobatic things at super heights. But for some reason, the portion that a bunch of youth pastors decided to emulate was the disgusting food challenges. Um, so what we would do, and it's just what were we thinking? Students were challenged to do lots of different things. So for instance, one of them was drink a gallon of milk in an hour. So a student randomly was given a gallon of milk and they were challenged to drink it in an hour. Guaranteed, this was vomit fest. There's no, there, it was impossible to do it without vomit fests, okay? But for some reason, this is what we did. Also did, um, the ones that I remember particularly is where you would blindfold somebody, they would be sitting down at a table, you'd blindfold them, you'd have to give them something to eat. So, I just remember, now this is me, I was, I was a leader at the time, this, I was supposed to be somebody that they trusted, right? I was supposed to be, not supposed to be, isn't that terrible? I was, I was in a position in their life that they, I was to offer them good things in life, right? But I just remember, and then we would put things in blenders like spam and baby food and gel, like just all the most disgusting things. Spam's good in most of you, but that's another thing. Just put all these random things together, blend it together, and then they'd have to finish eating it. Or they'd have to, sometimes they would get something good, sometimes they would get something bad. Some of you are looking at me like, that is disgusting, how could you do that? Some of you have smiles on your face, like, oh, I remember the good old days. <laughs> like, we should do that again. And then there's a team like, why would you do that to us? That's awful. But that was just what you did. You just shook your head. But I remember, like, like, about to feed somebody in a position that I was supposed to be trusted. I was supposed to be somebody that, they, and they would just cringe at what they were about to do. It wasn't a refreshing offer. It wasn't like they were in a desert and it was just a drop of water that was going to bring just relaxation. This was something that they knew was going to be absolutely gross, nasty, awful. And here I was as somebody that was supposed to be a trustworthy one, offering them this disgusting thing. So here we are, John 7. Jesus in a portion of the book where he's actually now starting to offer something that's truly refreshing. He's inviting people to consume in a way that is towards life. The question for them and the question for us in our remaining time is, can we trust the hand that provides the drink? So, John chapter 7, we've been in um, this series referring to Jesus, looking at the lives and teachings of Jesus and we find ourselves at this moment in the Jewish calendar that's known as the Festival of Booths and the Festival of Shelters. Um, this is on the last day of a seven-day festival. 
The festival was reminiscent and reminded God's people that they were once slaves and they were given the promised land. And in between that, they wandered through the desert and God provided them through that. So they had this really important uh, ceremony that took place on the last day. So let me describe it for you for a second. Because this is what Jesus was witnessing when he said this. So on the last day, there's a procession. A priest would go to the south um, of the city and there's a spring of water. He had this golden pitcher. And around him was this choir chanting Isaiah 12 verse 3, which says this. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So here they are, this choir chanting, golden pitcher. The water was then carried by the priest back up the hill. Behind the priest as they were walking back up was this group of people. And they had these two different things in their hands. In their right hand was these branches. That was to remind them of the desert booths. Okay? And in their left hand were citrus branches. So imagine all of us, one of us walking up a hill with this golden pitcher, all of us having these branches in our hands. One of us was, it was reminding us of that time, but the citrus was a reminder of the harvest. This took place in the fall. And so this was harvest time, um, as, and that would be in the midst of what would be a threatened season of drought. So while they were remembering this significant moment in their history, they're also asking God to provide water for them, to bring rain. So they would walk, they'd shake them, as the whole time they would be singing Psalm 113 through 118. So if you ever want to go back and read those five or six chapters, those were read every Jewish festival. When they arrived at the temple, the priest would climb the altar steps, and he poured the water on the altar while they, the crowd continued singing. Now on the seventh day, the day that Jesus is speaking this, that procession happened seven different times. So this had multiple meanings. On the one hand, it was God asking them to bring rain, but on the other hand, it was rich symbolism. In the desert, God brought water out of a rock. And here, you would see water flowing from the sacrificial rock altar of the temple. Some of the prophets had visions of water flowing from the temple in miraculous displays of God's blessing. So this was a spectacular visual of life-giving water flowing from God's life-giving temple. So this procession's happening, and Jesus, in verse 37, what does it say? He stands up with a loud voice. He shouts. Remember, he wasn't really going to be seen at this. Earlier in chapter 7, he was kind of wanting to be away because he knew that the leaders were already trying to kill him. But he sees this symbolism. He sees all the richness of what's taking place. He, in his pre-carnate life, was one that was leading them in the desert. And here, Jesus stands up and what does he say? If anyone thirsts, if you're in a dry desert and you're thirsty, come to me and drink. You look at this priest and you think that the water that they are offering is going to be refreshing. That's not what it's about. 
Because the scriptures say, out of his um, heart will flow living water. And so what, he, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, this is about me, everybody. I mean, can you imagine somebody getting up on a really significant ceremony of, your, of a national heritage and Jesus, or somebody coming and saying, hey, you guys do all this, but hey, this is all about me. I am why you do this. I am the water that came from the rock in the desert. I am the one that led you. I am the one that brings the refreshment in dry and desert lands. What they were looking to isn't going to be refreshing or satisfying in the way they really want. So Jesus has claimed to be the temple in chapter 2. He's claimed to be the Son of God. He's claimed to be the Messiah. He's claimed to not be bread of life. And now he's claimed that he is the water. But then what he does is he, what I'll say is he breaks the third wall. You ever watch a TV show and all of a sudden... They look directly at the camera, and they're no longer just in the story. They're now speaking to you as the audience, right? John does this right here. He, and he says this really interesting thing. Verse 39, now this he said about what? About the Spirit. About the, the living water, what actually is refreshing to people is the Spirit of God. John goes on to say that the Spirit was not given at this point. He reminds people that the Spirit's only going to be given once Jesus um, is glorified, he's risen from the dead, and he ascends to heaven. We will learn more about the Spirit in John 14 and John 16, but at one point Jesus says this really weird thing. He says, it's actually good for me, that, good for you that I'm going away. Because if I don't go away, then you wouldn't get the Spirit. I mean, think about that. Jesus is speaking to his disciples the week that he, the day before he's about to be crucified. And he says, I'm going away, and it's good that I go away, because something good is coming for you. Something that you need that you don't realize you need. Something that you you want, but you don't realize that you want yet. But he knows that it's going to be satisfying you in a way that you would never understand. So what is the gift of the spirits? One theologian said it this way. It's a gift of sheer, unexpected immediacy with God. Let's say that again. The, the spirit is a gift of sheer, unexpected immediacy with God. You can understand why the leaders at this time were probably a little bit upset by this. Because you're telling me I no longer need to go through a leader to experience God. I can have direct access to him. You're telling me that no longer is it through this powerful group of people that the refreshments of God would come. But now people can have direct, immediate access to God himself. So Jesus has claimed in the last two chapters, bread of life that gives eternal life, and now one who offers living water that satisfies us, that refreshes us. So you and I are designed to consume, but we're designed to consume Jesus as the bread who will sustain and drink from the well that ref refreshes us.
Anything less than that is a cheap substitute. So, God, we are designed to need outside of us, to satisfy us. We are created to be in need. And to consume is not necessarily a bad thing. Because we are reminded every three times a day when we eat that I need something, I need bread, I need water. We can't live long without those basic things. The consumption is not the problem. We are constantly asking ourselves, without even knowing it, I believe, what will sustain, what will satisfy, what will refresh us. And so, we, because of our fallen world, don't go to the source that often, or that is supposed to be, where we get refreshment. We don't go through the Spirit to meet with God in our need. We often look to consume something else. We find cheap substitutes. So where do we, we go first in times of need? There's a few things, and because we live in a society that is what I'll call a consumeristic society. Everything is built on consuming, gaining more, acquiring stuff. It's very easy that we can do that. So where do we go when we need refreshment that's a cheap substitute from Jesus as the bread of life and the spirit is living water? The first thing I want to mention is that we often go to consume entertainment. We consume entertainment. So you just had a long day of work. You're tired. Because nothing really seemed to go right for you. You're frustrated, you're annoyed, it's just kind of one of those irritable moments for you. What do you do in that moment? Oftentimes, what I have done is I go directly to entertainment. Go to your phone, right? Say, ah, I'm just annoyed, I'll just pop over my phone and play a game. Sometimes, for some people, it's binging all the content that's available to you. From Netflix, YouTube, TikTok, we're bombarded with the message that we are needing to consume entertainment. We think this entertainment will make you happy, will satisfy you, will refresh you. But how many times have you gone, like, had a day like that, and you watched a couple episodes of a Netflix show, and then you stop watching it, and you feel the same way you did as before? Where you're just like, hmm. Like, you were able to check out for a little bit. You were able to get a little bit of reprieve. But it really didn't satisfy. It really didn't refresh. You wanted to. You needed a break. But it wasn't the refreshing that you wanted. We can go to, we can be told that consuming entertainment will refresh. But unfortunately, we, if we do that enough, we will know that that's not what's going to do it. Now, not only entertainment, but we have been grown in a, a church environment where consuming and consumption has been merged with discipleship. We unknowingly bring that consuming mentality to how we understand the church itself. I, um, God saved me through a church that uh, followed what's known as the uh, purpose-driven model. Um, 
God saved me through it, so I'm unbelievably thankful for it. But much of the framework of that was built on the premise that you do whatever you can to get as many people in the door, give them something entertaining, make a charismatic person, a couple jokes here and there, you, and that is the model and the means by which the gospel goes forth. Okay? We, you provide certain things at certain times, this for your kids, this for this age, and all of it is built on a framework that if the church can provide certain content and goods and services, then if you do that well, the church will grow. And at the end of the day, that was the, the MO, the model, the emphasis. This is what I'll call, we have this understanding that if we consume content, we will be satisfied. This, and this is as, uh, so last night I was talking, um, I went out to the Kraken game with my brother, a lot of fun. Shaquille O'Neal's got a chicken sandwich place there, it's fantastic. Just so you know, I had no idea, beach Chick-fil-A. Yes, I said that. I still have my faith, I know. <laughs> throw down Chick-fil-A as a Christian, but it's gotta be true, whatever. So, here I am talking to my brother. Um, we go out afterwards, we're, we're chatting. And I'm like, yeah. Afterwards, we go out and we're chatting. And we, he brings up randomly faith. And I'm like, okay, let's go there. We're, let's have, I'm all for it. And he asked me this random question. He's like, so you know that old boss of yours? Was he a rapist? I'm like, what? Like, like, what makes you think that? Why would you even ask me that question? He says, it just seems that all pastors that are in a position of power nowadays, just that's just what they do. And I'm like, ooh, sting. Because I'm like, you know, I'm not saying he's not right, but he's not fully wrong. I mean, even this week, you have more stories of more people that are prominent in, the, in the, our faith in this last generation, like revealing broken things about them, their lives and their story. The character has not matched it. And so I'm sitting here having this conversation, and I'm like, oh, you just, like, that's like, ugh. That, that's, that's. And so we start talking more, start talking about his, um, his experience with that, we start talking about religion versus spirituality. And so he was at our place on Thursday night for Trigger Thursday. And so here we are just sitting and we're, we're hanging out. And, um, and he's like, yeah, like that whole, like, um, he, he didn't use the term institutional church, but I'll just use it just for our sake, okay? He's like, I just, I want nothing to do with that. Like, get me as far away from that as I can. And I was like, okay, well, how did you, how did you experience it with us? Like, don't, this is what, in my experience, people tend to do. They focus on what they see in the news, but then I bring, okay, what about me? Like, let's talk here, in my relationship. He's like, oh, that's different. I was like, well, I was like, okay, let's unpack that a little bit more. So we talked, talking. I was like, okay, wait a second. What's, in your mind, what, like, what's the difference between what you're talking about and what you experienced on Thursday night? And I was like, that's church for us. 
That's the people of God intentionally living that life out with gospel intentionality. That's using the, the ways of life as an opportunity to experience God and to see other people's experience. I'm not saying all this, but I'm saying this for us. And I'm like, what do you, what's, what's there? And he's like, oh, I'm all for that. But all this other stuff, I'm all, I'm all over. I'm just over it. The amount of times I've had a conversation like that with people that are far from God is just mind-boggling to me. It saddens me. It's just like, uh. And instead of saying, how dare they? What I want to do is I want to look in the mirror and say, what have we done that's created that? Where have we, now, and I mean we, not just someone for the way, but I'm using we, capital W-E, for capital C church, that we are part of a larger movement than ourselves. And I made this connection for him. I'm saying, and he, because we, background, there's a lot of restaurants, we talked about that. I was like, what's happening in the back of the house is actually what ends up showing up in the front of the house. If you want to know what's really going on in the restaurant, you don't look in the dining room, you go into the kitchen. Because that's the real heartbeat of the restaurant, and he was all over that. And we made sense of it. There's some things that have been happening in the church in the back of the house that's showing up in the front of the house now. There's a reckoning. There's stuff that's being exposed. And part of it's because, in a small part of it, there's sin involved, I'm all saying, but part of it is we created this environment that's bought into the belief that it's not just about meeting with Jesus in the midst of everyday life. It's performance. And you heard me a few minutes ago saying performance is something. Like, I know this world really well. But you know what fuels that? Not only like leadership and, and Instagram and blogs, but we think that if it's we have to consume content. Feed me, preach at me, give me all the stuff. It's up to somebody else to sustain and refresh me. We still don't yet fully believe in the priesthood of all believers. We still believe that it's some, and I'm the guy that, let me say this. We still believe the sermon is the primary way that we get fed. And as the guy that does a lot of it, it's not enough. It's just not. If you're in a dry desert land, if you're needing refreshment, if you're needing life, if you are dying and you're just at the end of your rope, you don't need more content. It's not what we need. We need Christ. We need refreshment from the spirits. I, I, I just don't want to go anymore. Okay, let's go to Jesus together. Let's go to the actual bread of life. Let's go to the living water where we can consume him, be refreshed by him, go to direct access with him. But we live in a world and where it's just like, and where it's, there's an expectation on other people to satisfy us. And brothers and sisters, you get to meet Jesus through his word. I'm, I'm not saying I'm getting to stop doing this. But I know there's limits to this. Because we can know the, all the scriptures. But we cannot obey them. And we will become spiritually fat and lethargic. 
And we'll just be sitting around talking about all the things we could do. And the world around us will be dying because we're not doing what we're called to. Feed me. No. Let me help you learn how to feed. Give me more. No. You need Jesus. Is this a means by it? Absolutely. But we, and here's the thing. We don't just stop here, okay? What's also now happening, and I will say that part of it is a, um, an ethos that's been in the church for a while, a consuming content piece to it. But what's now happening is this next piece. And instead of consuming content, and this is what I believe is more true of our church and the type of people that we've been reaching out to, is we're not primarily consuming content. We are a group of people, and we minister to a group of people that are primarily consuming community. There's a reason why there's typically three times as many people in our missional communities than in our People aren't coming to a gathering to consume content in this generation. Especially with live streaming, especially post-COVID. I mean, you can, you can go online right now and hear hundreds of people that are better at this than me. Easily. And if that's what church is, you can get satisfied elsewhere. And it's not enough. But now we have a group of people, and what's happening is that they're not looking for content. They're not looking to be fed through a monologue like this. They're looking to be fed in community. They want relationships. Now, that, and I'm going to be very, very clear. I think that's a better thing to consume because you're more likely to be transformed that way. You look at brain sciences. You look at a lot of different things. We're created by relationship and for a relationship. If you want to see discipleship, it's going to happen in community. However, people are coming to community with that same expectation to consume something other than the bread of life and the one that's living water. We have an expectation that community can bear the weight of our need to be fed. We have an expectation that the conduit is supposed to be the source. Am I, am I going to be speaking about community? Yeah. Like, do I think it's absolutely necessary? You better believe it. We're creating the image of a relational God. We're designed for relationships. We can't get away from that. But what I'm talking about is the heart that we come with expecting it. Am I expecting this community to satisfy the needs of my refreshment? Does it happen sometimes? Yes, and that's so good because God works through his people. But am I looking to the wire as opposed to looking at the electricity? Am I, am I looking to the source as the ultimate? Is community the means by which God meets us? Yes. Do we have people that aren't consuming content, but they're consuming community? Yes. They, they pop in when they need it. They, they come 
and part of our MCs and part of life and all these different relationships when it's helpful for them. But the second that you call them to discipleship, the second that we call one another to sacrificing for the benefit of one another, the second we call one another to laying down our lives as Jesus laid down our life, because that in our story is where we find life, when that's the hard part. So, yes, we're going to have people that consume content, and yes, we're going to have people that consume community. The hardest part for all of this work is that we're calling each other to discipleship. We in Soma used to think, uh, like, oh, we're, we don't do the whole consumer thing because we don't focus on the gathering that much. That, that hasn't changed anything. It's just changed what people consume. The entry door is just community. It's not content as much. But the heartbeat is still consumption. And what I want to affirm is the heartbeat to consume is given to us by God. It's just what we're looking to. What I'm expecting. What I'm wanting. What I think that other people should do for me. But at the end of the day, it's still about my consumption. And what Jesus is offering us is, yeah, you're designed to consume. But he's present. He's the one that offers eternal life. He's living water. Jesus is the only one that has the ability to give you what you need to the fullest and depth of what you long for. The question is, can we trust his hand? Can we, or is he like the youth pastors that fed disgusting food to one their their followers. In Revelation 7 8, there's this really unique story. I don't have time to go into the fullness of it, but as you're as you're in Revelation 7 and 8, you see all these beings worshiping God. They're just yeah, you see it there, and there's this group of people out from the Great Tribulation, they're worshiping him. And he says, verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The lamb uh, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to what? Springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear of every eye. Who's he speaking to there? Verse 14, the ones coming out of the tribulation. These are people that are suffering, that are in pain, that are martyred, that are in a desert in dry land and have nothing. In chapter 7, prior to this, there's a whole group of people, uh, angels that are worshiping God. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is he. They're saying, all glory and wisdom belong. But then there's this really small statement in Revelation 8, chapter 1, that says it was quiet for 30 minutes. And it's like, that's weird. Why was it quiet? There's all these beings worshiping God, proclaiming him. Like, lifting him up. And all of a sudden, he says that there's quiet for 30 minutes. Why did God stop the worship? Because it says that he was listening to the prayers of the people. We serve a God who stops the worship that belongs to him so that he could hear our prayers. He stops what is due of him so that he can graciously offer 
what's undeserving of us. He wants to hear our prayers. He wants to listen. The, the picture that we have of God determines what we expect of God. Will he be the one that's offering us baby food and spam? Or is he the one that's offering us bread of life and springs of living water? We can go to all these secondary things. Our hearts are drawn towards these secondary things. But we have to constantly go back be reminded to go back that not only is he the one that can sustain and refresh, but he's the one that offers it in a way that we can trust. He silences the worship of him so that he can hear the prayers of his people.